Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Northern Monkey podcast. Today I'm very, very proud to welcome Dave and Joe Dunwell of the Dunwells. How are you doing guys? Yeah, very well mate. How are you doing? Really good. How are you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Really, really good. Uh feel very privileged to have you guys on. You were one of the first five or six people that I, th- I thought to uh, to bring on just because of, of how much I'm a massive fan um, of you guys. Um and, uh, and and just how brilliant you are. So um so you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna big you up too much. But um so yeah, what what we always try and do uh, on this podcast, what I always try and do is just go really back to basics. Um, you know, for those people that are listening that don't know who you are, um just give us a bit of a background as to, you know, who are the Dunwells, um, what's the structure, you're a band, um, what's what are you comprised of and a little bit about you. So we we are a band, um, a band from Leeds. We're brothers. We're from Leeds. There's two of us. We've had various different lineups at different times, but yeah, uh, at the moment, uh, there's my name's David. And this is Joe. I'm Joe. I'm Joe's older brother. Um, we've been making music as the Dunwells for ten years. Yeah. That's although, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although we've been making music in like with Joe. Joe's been singing. Uh, sang for a few years before that, singing in the pubs, and I also then sang in the pubs for a few years before that as well. And then we kind of met together at an open mic night in Pudsey, which is a little 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 town outside of outside of Leeds. Yep. And um, and then we we one of the uh, someone at the event, someone at the uh, the open mic night uh, owned a pub and asked us if we wanted to come and play at her pub in Hawes. Which felt like the longest drive from Leeds. So the Haas is just the Oxford Dales. So it was about uh, an hour, an hour and fifteen minute drive up to up to the Oxford Dales, and yeah. it felt like it was that was our first experience of going on tour. Yeah, <laughs> and we said no, we don't do gigs together. We normally just like, you can book me and or you can book Joe. Yeah, and she said I want to book you both. So we did that one gig, and then we were like, well, that's it. Man, we we love this. It yeah, made yeah, everything yeah. easier. You so, know, and just everything felt better and. Uh, and now that's it. That's how the band kind of started, really. And then we just kind of hit the the local circuit quite hard. We 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 played pubs, clubs, bars, restaurants. Anyone anyone that would pay us to play, we would play as a duo. And yeah. whilst we were doing that to make a living and pay for rent and pay for mortgages and stuff like that, we would spend the day through the day writing songs. And demo demoing up our first demos, um, and then we met a producer called David Crawfield. He took us into the studio, and we recorded our first batch of songs, and then went to London from that point. So it was a really quick process from from recording our first demo to mm-hmm. to then playing our first show in London. A promoter met us in London and said that I really like your stuff. I'm putting a stage on in Memphis. Do you want to come? We were like, yes, that'd be great. Wow. He says, it cost you six grand. Um, not not in his pocket. He says uh, visas and flights and all that and hotel and accommodation is going to cost six grand, but he can guarantee as a headline slot on his stage in Memphis. Uh, so was was that just the two of you then? Was that there was the five of us? Yeah. So yeah. there was. So you'd sort of grown by that point then, yeah. So when, so Joe and I wrote these songs together, um, and and when we met Dave Crefield. Uh, he invited us to go to the studio and start recording them. We formed a band around, around, uh, just to, and we walked out of the session, um, and we decided that the lineup that was in the studio with us is the lineup that we're gonna take on the road, stay really. with, and we became the Dunwell Brothers Band at that point. And so, even though the songs were based around us and it was our vision, we had other members that were that were with us at that time. And then through through various different reasons, the lineup changed a little bit here and a little bit there. And even to this day, we still play with members of that lineup at different points in the year. Um, but still, just like those days, now the vision, the direction, the ideas, the style, the songwriting has always been formed around Joe and I's vision. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. And yeah. um, and I I knew I knew one of the band members um, Adam Taylor so I think he came at a later stage. He's still in the band. He's still the drummer of the band. Yeah. yeah. But but rather than be rather than it's hard as a band 
because you go, we're four or five or six members of a band, and we're all gonna, uh, we're all gonna live off of this one source of income, and we're all it, gonna have one vision of what we want music to do. Yes, and we're all gonna have one idea of what we consider a touring band is. You know, some of us, some of us have families, and some of us don't, and we've all got a different idea. Yeah, and a venue's not going to pay you any more because you've got more people on stage, you know. Exactly, and I, I know that well. I know that well. Obviously, I uh, I play piano, do a little bit of, I call it professional, but if anyone heard me sing, they might think otherwise. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, but no, absolutely, you're right. So when I play, I play sometimes with uh, James Mulligan or I play with some other people, and, and you're absolutely right. If they've got 300 quid to pay you or if they've got 500 or whatever the budget is you know they're going to pay that they might add 50 quid on if you're lucky if you if you're good at negotiating but you're absolutely right um and and trying to stretch a budget for a small venue which realistically is where you've got to start yeah um is just is just too much a pub is not going to make more than a couple of grand in a night you know yeah uh, but but we believed in the product and we still i mean like we still do uh, i just feel like it got to a point where um like Dave was saying, t- uh, musical taste differences, just like just and 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 the drive has to come from one source. And me and Dave would wake. I would wake up on a Monday morning at seven o'clock in the morning, and I would go, "How am I going to move this brand, the Dunwells, or product yeah. forward?" And I am willing to do dig in the dirt and work all all week, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, to move my life and my career forward. And then sometimes you would turn to your left, and it would the the drive wouldn't be there. So you, it's almost like you kind of first of all you've got to motivate yourself. Mm. That's and then that's that's task one done. And we, we all know how difficult that is as well. I mean, how many people can't even get the, the, their own journey right? You know, so to then have to bring other people to your level or expect the same of other people is is massive, isn't it? And then direct people who are. Incredible musicians and also great vision themselves. And beautiful people. But direct them uh, on a path, on a, on a, whether it's um, a musical path or telling them to walk away from their, their uh, you know, the, the, their, secure, their job. secure jobs and come and do this. And then t- and tell them to trust our vision, even though that our vision is just our, our interpretation of what, what, what we think could happen. You know, nobody knows the answer. You know, nobody yeah. knows what the winning. If there was, if you could bottle success in this industry, you would be laughing, because there is not one way of doing it. No, absolutely, and absolutely. Defining what you success is. So, I think, I mean, a long way of going about it, but yeah, it's it, it still it still solidifies that idea that it always has, whether it's been five people on stage, just the two of us, or sometimes an orchestra and a yeah. choir. The vision yeah. has always come from this place. So it's always strange to see when people talk about the lineup changes because internally it has nothing changed at all. It's still yeah, yeah, yeah. songs still the same way that but we I, I can understand it from a fan point of view yeah. because they get invested in the band and they'll go, Oh, it's like do you know when you go um do you know when you go to do you know if you're a football fan and the the wingers your favourite player and it well, it happened to me several times, being a Man United fan for my sins. We just kept giving our best players to Real Madrid for cut price. Oh, so, you thought was the best player, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that's your, or, or, or the nicest player, or the kindest player, or the, the one that basically ha- wears the club's badge of honour. And so, Do you know what I mean? And then, and then a, a fan would get invested in that player. So, like, fans in, in our band would then... We almost get invested in our life and and our surroundings, and then Johnny would get a, uh, the original drummer. He would then fall in love in Colorado. This is what genuinely what happened. He fell, sorry, yeah, he fell yeah. in Napa Valley, moved out to Colorado, and that was the last we ever saw of him. Do you know? So it's like, and then at that point, some fans would not fall out of us, but they just go without without Johnny. The essence of the band isn't there, and I, it took me a long. It took me a long time to get my head around that. Yeah, I would be like, no, but the essence of the band is this, you know. It's and, not- and you, you know that the product really is coming from you two. Yeah, you know, the, the, the brother, the brother. Okay with it now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think. Um, 
I, I mean, I, t- I totally understand it. I think, you know, I, I do mention it sometimes about Dragon's Den. I think people are going to think I've got an obsession, but you'll you'll have times when, um, you know, the dragons will turn around and say, but you, you guys are the product. You can't scale this because you guys are the product. And it's it's absolutely right. It's very difficult to scale a business in that way. It's very difficult to scale a band in that way from scratch. And I think if you look at how even ultra-successful bands who've got, you know, millions of pounds coming in and stadium tours and things like that they don't have to worry about quitting their job they don't have to worry about a, a family they still have a family but they have people that can step in and support them and even then there's a change of direction people want to go in this direction they want to go solo and, and things like that and, and you get a break in the band and all of a sudden fans fall out with you and so I think you've done right to keep you guys as the the core and that transition everything that's happened in the background it's still being you guys and yeah. uh, selfishly you know you guys to me are ultimately just so talented that you know that you, you chose right with the brand you know um so just moving on to a little bit about the structure then so um i know we've talked about the the other members do you guys see there being a a lead singer out of you two what you know the instruments you play how do, how do you form it how do you think of yourselves early on into the into the career of the band so like we would, when we first started, it would be like whoever wrote the song or the initial idea would sing the song. And then there was three people who did that because Johnny was a really good writer himself. Dave was a good writer and I, and I wrote songs as well. So we were all, there was three solid writers in the band and we'd go, and for an 11 track album, you'd need, you know, 11 tracks, but like Johnny would write three, Dave would write four or five and I'd write four or five. So then, and then it got quite confusing because um, people would come and see us and they'd be like, there's no real focus. So then the second album, yeah, yeah, we made a conscious decision to, regardless of who's the better singer or whatever, it was just like, we're going to make a focus and I'm going to be, Joe is going to be the lead singer of this band. Dave will sing a song every now and again because people who, people who love Dave's voice will hang around for an hour and a half set just to hear him sing one song because they love Dave Dunwell. Do you know, in, and yeah. Adam now is uh, the drummer of the band, got a, an amazing voice. When he's, when you stick a harmony on that he's singing, uh, it's like, so that's enough to keep him, keep him going. Uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, early after the first album, we made a big decision that this is, this is going to be, um, the brothers as the brand, the core value. The, the everything that the the, the Dunwell stand for, but essentially I'm going to sing 99% of the songs. Yeah, really kind way of saying, and you know, I'm, this. A, I'm a better singer. Have you heard his voice? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to say. All all the other band members like their own voices, but they're not the same league as Joe Dunwell. That's the yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, to, to put it in football terms, because uh, I, I do love football, and you mentioned it. I think the the thing about you guys is it was like Man City and Liverpool last year. So you're both incredible. But you know, Joe, um, when I, I I have obviously everyone's got a musical range. You know what notes you can hit. For many years, I was struggling to sort of go above that G, stretching it to A, B flat. Oh, you know, yeah. Freddie Mercury's hitting top D's and E's. And when I heard you singing some of the tunes, I mean, I was absolutely blown away. And you really do get those high notes, and you can hold them as well. Um, when did you realise that you could harmonise so well? Was that really early on? Uh, back back in. When I was 16, 17 years old, actually oh, even before then, like before when, we were, when, when we were kids, Dave used to be writing songs, so he picked up a guitar and started writing songs. It was almost like inbuilt into him, you know. He learnt guitar, learnt oh, a bunch of Oasis songs and went, right, that's me, I'm a musician, I'm a songwriter now, and just started writing songs. So then I would come downstairs, I'd, I'd, or I'd come home from school, from high school, and I'd be like, oh, hey Dave, what are you doing? And he'd be like, oh, I'm... I'm, I'm a cool musician. I'm writing a song. You know, this is <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that in my life. But yeah, okay. That's and then funny. I'd I'd sit down and I'd, I'd harmonise with him. It, yes. It, it always sounded great. You know, and and I kind of knew what he was going to say. Like he'd make songs up and never write the words down, but he'd be like, I don't. Be just singing about whatever. You know, whatever was going on in his life. You know, someone might have broken up with him from the bar. You know, or whatever. About, about how cool and good looking he was. Something like that. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> around that, I yeah. always kind of, <laughs> and well, it was more like syllables. You know, it was probably just mumbling words or mumbling just nonsense. But uh, I, I, to me, it sounded good as good then as it does now. I think it's a really embarrassing story when because there's five years, and there's six years, five and a half years between Joe and I. So if you go to imagine when you're 18 years old. You're becoming a man, do you know what I mean? And you want to enter the world and it's like, you want to start just, you're looking forward, I was looking forward to travelling, I was this musician, I was playing the part, I had everything, I really, I really loved it. However, when Joe and I were singing together, it really did sound great. And I have this really embarrassing story of, of, of turning around to my, uh, my 12, 13 year old brother at the time going, mate, I've got to take this seriously now. I'm 18 years old. I can't just sit around with you anymore. And I remember watching him walking out of the room that we were singing in, and he was was really sad. Oh, no. (laughs) Like, fuck you, Dave. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know how good I am? (laughs) Because I'm knocking on Joe's door going, can I be in your band? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Tables have turned. But but no, literally, guys, you know, as I say, I've said it many times, Unbelievable, both top level, and I think um, I think it would sort of be remiss of me to not say that I think you have that relationship and that ability to harmonise even better than other people. Like you mentioned, the syllables, the tonality, and things, because you're brothers. Would you agree? Yeah, I, yeah, would say that I think there's something in a blood brother harmony. You know, like like you can see some bands, and you, that's, there's some amazing bands out there, but you see the session musicians who are like not perfect on the harmony, but it doesn't have the glue. That yeah. That siblings have, I think. They're, they're sight readers, aren't they? They're doing everything to that, you know, to the beat, to the, to the, you know, which whichever note in the bar, and that's not maybe the the tonality or the position of that note that the, the lead singer would have. Um, <laughs> so, so absolutely. Now, when you were when you were younger, when you started picking up um, the guitars, um, who who were you playing? What sort of music were you following? Who were your idols? So I, I think I started first, and it started, um, so I, our dad is an incredible guitarist. He is, he's, uh, we joke and say he's the world's greatest bedroom guitarist. Because right. he, he taught himself how to play classical, he plays nylon string, um, and he reads music as well, and he, he plays to a really high standard, however he doesn't, he doesn't perform, he doesn't, the nerves take him, he just... It's never been part of him to do that. Mm-hmm. He was that guy that sat up in the in the loft of his of his house of, the, of my grandparents' house, and he would sit there with a record player and he'd just learn the songs, and that's what he would do. And the, and then, and because of that, there was a guitar in every corner of every room, and he had a big love of music. And Mum loved the pop music in the Motown of the day of the time. She was into yeah. that when we were kids growing up. So Sunday, that's the influences of music that we were listening to. And then as she's cooking dinner, that's the music she would listen to, the, whatever was on the radio at the time. Mm-hmm. And my dad had um, a, a real interest in folk and classical. So that introduced us to people like Bob Dylan uh, and Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. And then also then really uh, Donovan. Uh, and then another and then obviously through that all that scene as well, there was the Beatles and Rolling Stones and. They had all these records in the house all the time and I could see, you know, even though they were always on the turntable playing, they were always there. You could see the front covers, the guitars were in the rooms. There was a love for music in the house. And when Oasis came out, for me, it glued everything together because it connected everything that my parents were instilling into me into what music was. And all that information was taken straight to school because everybody wanted to be Oasis. Everyone wanted to be. And that kind of feel of... Um, that connection of, of joining the dots suddenly I had a place so I yeah, started yeah, yeah. to uh, the Beatles records and then learning all the Oasis records and my, my dad could connect that and have a conversation with me and that brought us closer together with our knowledge of music and our time together so it was all about Oasis Britpop sounds um, and then when Joe joined Sorry. well because Dave went travelling I, I, I I was I was passionate about sports and football and like I I've all I've been I'm been gifted the fact that I can sing you know it was like a gift that mm. um, so I always had an interest in music because I knew I could sing but it was never like a massive passion so I wanted to be a professional footballer 
and then, mm. and then found out I wasn't good enough for that. I uh, wanted to be a professional golfer, wasn't good enough for that. I was kind of, I was always okay at everything, you know. And then Dave came home from a, a tr- he was travelling at the time. He came home and he goes, hey guys, I've, I've got you a present. And it was a, an old battered up Goo Goo Dolls CD. And that was the first, one of the first CDs that I got. And then I got into... Is that, is that Iris? Was Iris on yeah. there? I bought it in Amsterdam. At a bus station, there was a little uh, stall there, and I bought it in there, and I and then, then handed then it handed to Joe as a gift. Was, but, and it was a great gift, and then and then off the back of that, I just got listening to Green Day, Dookie, then um, uh, then um, like Blink of It Two, and that, that kind of like them bands, and then it went from that, and then and then Dave went travelling again, and he came back with another. Oh no, you've bought a house in uh, Leeds, and then he came back with another album saying, uh, "Here's Damien Rice. Oh, check this out." And then that mm. was the defining point of my. I want to be. A was that was that the, the the cannonball that sort of projected you forwards then? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, you'll have to get used to dad jokes. Dave, Dave's the king. I've got plenty of them. <laughs> and then I think the and, and once again like. You know when things stick in your mind, I remember when Dave said to me, Joe, if you want to take music seriously, you're going to have to be, um, or stop being, because uh, uh, I was averagely talented at most things, like I said, I could play football, play golf, play road, I could do anything, you know, anything like that, I could sing, I could, I could, I'd just been playing the guitar, I was like p- going around the pubs and clubs, and, but and there was like no, there was no focus and then Dave once turned around to me and he goes, "If you're gonna do so, if you're gonna do music, you're gonna have to do music. You've just got to stop being a jack of all trades and a master of none." Yeah, yeah. And again, that was like it hurt at the time. It was the best piece of advice he ever gave me. It's really easy to do, uh, and I'm, I think it's not just a musician thing. I think it's anything in business. I think one of the greatest qualities is to, like, as he said, when he, when Joe, whatever our parents gave both of us. And our brothers as well, because they're both as ambitious. Yeah. We'll be forever grateful, because it must be information-based. It can't be. And it's this idea that we deserve to be at the top of our game. Yeah, so we didn't just play football in the park. We would be thinking, there's no part of our brain that could go, we, we can't go pro. I mean, yes. I was terrible. <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna learn this, and I've just got to get past this learning bit, and I'll be all right. It's the same as when we, when my dad took us golfing. The first time we hit a golf ball, all of us went, "That's I'm, it, I'm Tiger Woods. That's what we're gonna be. We're going to be stood with Tiger Woods in no time." I think and, I was, uh, I was, I was very similar. Um, loved football. Uh, badminton, really like badminton. Um, you know, I, I said to somebody, I said to a, a manager at work once, I said, why, why do people not just do two years in one job and then move into a new industry? Because imagine how intelligent you'd be at the end of it. And she said exactly the same, word for word, that same phrase, jack of all trades, master of none, and that, and that stuck with me as well. The only difference was when I hit a golf ball the first time, I was down in Eshalt at the driving range. Yeah, and I, I think I'd broke the record for the first person to ever hit his first ball and hit himself in the face with the ball. It ricocheted <laughs> off the wood at the side, hit me in the eye, and I gave up. <laughs> so so Thanks, there we go. Look at it, that's how you still can get that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I gave, I gave up with that one. But, uh, but no, I think you're absolutely right. You, you, need, you need that focus, and it's so difficult if, um, if the focus means you have to give up other things, like a source of income, um, oh. when you've got a family and things like that. What Dave's saying is that he's really proud of what he's been given. Like I, th- I find it's a quality that we should embrace and take. However, mm. it, it needs that I, refining that we all only at some only at certain, when you're sure. Like if my daughter turns around to me and says, "I want to be a ballerina," I'll support that. And then the next week she goes, "Actually, I, I'm going to ride a horse." Obviously, I'm going to have to find the funds for her to ride a horse. Mm-hmm. So and then she'll turn around. But up until the point where she decides that she wants to do something, uh, I'm going to support it all of the way, because that's all my parents did for us. Everything. With the idea that at some point, that information, like we've all had, I think we've all just said, the right words were said at the right time that made us all decide to focus on the one thing. It's mm. a, it, is a, it is a quality that you've got to embrace. 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting you guys to, to talk as much about parents as you did in that, in that process, you know, the idols and things like that. I was purely talking musically, but it's very, uh, you know, there's a lot of humility there as well, isn't there? When you, when you look at your parents and see them in, in that regard. And I, I'm very much the same and thankful to both parents, but my dad, very similar, uh, very talented. Um, wasn't the bedroom guitarist, best, world's best bedroom guitarist, as you said, um, but that. was, <laughs> was grade was grade four at piano, grade four at violin, grade four at guitar. Um, would always be playing uh, foot tapper on the guitar. He absolutely loved that. Uh, the Shadows, yeah. um, and then the Beatles were just a massive, massive influence. My dad is the happiest guy in the world on Christmas Day every year when you buy him a Beatles calendar, and it is, doesn't get one bit less exciting because he loves them that much. Um, and uh, a massive influence for me as well, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so talk to us a little bit about how how's COVID affected you guys? It must have been a complete and utter wallop to to come down, and just as you've you know released an album the year before, um, yeah. just as you've been touring, just as you've been touring with some great people, which we'll talk about, it must have hit you. Talk to me about that moment and and what happened. I think the, the fact that we had this year, at uh, the beginning of this year, we, we pretty much had all of this year lined out until December this year. Um, yeah. And within within that first hour, we were told that we were going to lockdown. Or first, first, I mean, it literally everything went, every single show. Um, and, then, single. and then we started panicking, and then we were like, oh no, all sources of income has gone. But like, we... Where where we are blessed to have um, a studio in Leeds that we work out of, and we just kind of pivoted and shifted and started working remotely or via Skype and uh, Microsoft Teams. Uh, this this thing that you're using here, and we used uh, Zoom. Um, we started writing for people, and writing turned into production for people, and we were doing remote recording, and then and then and then we started doing these. Um, shows a daily live a facebook daily live both to facebook and youtube from so we started on the 23rd of march so yep. today is actually our 100th show which is amazing and worth talking a little bit about so yeah. uh, we were chatting about this earlier so 100 shows is like an unbelievable amount of commitment um with everything that's been going on with the distancing um you know i'm on episode five of this and you know it feels like it's a commitment already a brilliant one but um so what what were the challenges what what did you go through in the the early stages so when we first started the first challenge was um we we, we decided that that it was the one thing that we were going to do there was no object there was no objective to it there was no plan there was no idea of uh, this is going to be our new uh, source of income, no new. Yep. It was honestly, it was genuinely built because our we could see our fans were as equally scared um, and and uh, unsure of their own futures as we were. And we yep. decided that the best thing to do is that we were going to pop our phones up and literally just go and do a 15 minute check in. But we couldn't work out how to stream together. So we that's, that's something I want to know because it's amazing. Um, and I would do twenty minutes and sing a few songs, and then Joe would pop on. So it was like a forty-minute show, and then that's how we did for the first maybe the first week. That's far, yeah. And then our official IT department, aka Joe Dunwell, um, he he uh, he he did a bit of research, and it was actually Megan or Meg O'Neill who we were doing a writing session with. She found it. Uh, a website called uh, StreamYard.com. Uh, uh, it's a free service, but we pay the prepared prescription because it allows yep. us to get a few more things that we need. Yep. And it allowed us to instantly stream to Facebook and YouTube and allowed us to remotely be work, work and have to, both our faces on the screen at the same time. At which point, still not really knowing, like everybody, what this COVID lockdown meant, how long it really was going to be. Mm. Was it really going to be 14 days? That's crazy. We never thought it was going to be as, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, and we, we started doing the show and because we'd committed to the 40 minutes separate, we decided that we were going to commit at six o'clock every single day for an hour. And we did yeah. so without any idea of any end of doing a full hour show. Mm. And we arranged that with our families and we arranged it around our schedules. 
earlier days in the lockdown, it was a lot easier because we were locked down. There was nothing else to do. There was no, yeah. apart from getting out and just doing a little bit of exercise, we were in our houses anyway. As it started to move on to around about the 70th show, we reduced our shows down to a half an hour show, but still left it uh, every single day. And that's got us to here now onto our 100th. So there was a few challenges at the start there, but I feel like we kind of overcame. Uh, well, there was one challenge that we never actually did, and that was to actually play in time remotely, did we? Yeah. Well, that, that was what I was going to ask you about, because that is the thing. I mean, if you're trying to uh, record a video and audio separately, even if it's the same person doing it, there can be all sorts of issues aligning those things. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say that's the one issue that I can't even imagine that you could answer, and you just said that it was tricky. So, um, no... So how, how, you, you, did, you did though, didn't, didn't you play together remotely? Did you, did you not do it? We, no. The only times that we could do is we, we could commit to doing playing, performing together in the studio. In the studio, as lockdown was starting to ease a little bit, and we could right. start mixing families because obviously, you know, Joe's locked in with his family, and we, I was locked in with mine, so it wasn't. But we we managed to get it close enough, and to be honest, the show became more about the community that it was building. Um, we released a single called Army of Friends, which was a song that Joe started working on and we finished it together. And it was lit, it was just his interpretation of lockdown. It was his story. And he played it once on the show and it's actually inspired us to actually play all of our new songs instantly on the show in front of this audience. Right. Because it brought it to life. Um, the, the fan group that were on this page at the time that were tuning in. It was small, it was great, it was, you know, a few hundred people every day would tune in. And um, and they all loved the song. So we recorded it and we released it and we gave all the proceeds to this, of the song all go to NHS charities. And it was... Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it, 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 but in it, perpetuity. Yeah, forever. It's just, that's wow. it. Wow. But it goes to the, dis- dis- the distributors, pay the cheque. And that's it. That's it. It all goes forever. It will only ever go to something that will help. And if the NHS charities don't need it anymore, we'll redirect it to another charity that does. But um, yeah, yeah that's, the, the, Bob, the Bobby Wilkes Foundation, I heard, is in dire yeah. straits and, and needs <laughs> a little bit of uh, support. <laughs> um, but no, that's that's absolutely amazing, guys. And um, so just while we're on the subject of, of these, you know, the new records and things, um, when when did you release the, the latest album? When was that again? Was that sort of early last year? And in the Water album came out in September 2019, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, so, how did you how did you get to to go about um, touring that? How how did it go? Are you, are you happy with how it it went? Just give us a bit of a, a an idea as to your thoughts. Oh, it was great. I mean, it was supposed to come out May two thousand and nineteen. So I, fe- I felt like we sat on the album for quite a while, but it was worth sitting on because then the minute we released um, we released the album, something in the water. Then we got offered a tour to go on tour with Scouting for Girls. In the December, we did a, a, a UK world, the UK and Scotland, and Scotland is in the UK, but a UK and Highland, sorry, tour. Yeah. Uh, with them, I think it was how many dates was that? Uh, that was uh, thirty-six dates in total. Yeah, thirty-six dates. Finishing on, the, I think we finished like the week before Christmas. It was definitely the right decision to hold the album back because it allowed us time to release a few singles. That was great. Yeah. We also had a, a great... We'd, we'd, we got offered the uh, Scouting for Girls tour, but pre- prior to that, we played with Pete Murray, who's an Australian singer-songwriter, and we played yeah. around Europe with him. So I allowed that. And also, prior to that as well, we just went on tour with Tom Jones. So, so it was kind of like a... Big, like, 2019 was a big year for us in terms of playing in front of people. We had the album bagged, so we knew that, that we were really happy with that. And um, which now that just brings us to the, this year, like I said, that all of that, that it was kind of a lead up so that this year was going to be heavy festivals, uh, more touring on our own and uh, a few spot shows here and there. But because that's been stripped away, we then went and rethunk everything. And rethunk is not a word. Rethought. <laughs> it, so it, it sounded cool, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we rethought it. We went went back in, rethought what the plan was, and 
have spent the the majority of lockdown formulating a plan of what we want to do with our music and where we want it to go and where our dreams have been and where our aspirations are going to take us in the next three to five years. So it has been a really good, scary time, but a really good respite, a really good reset on the Dunwells. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A time to be introspective and and have a look at you guys and where you're wanting to go. Uh, you know, very much. So I can't skip past the Tom Jones thing, Sir Tom Jones, without mentioning it. What was what was that like? Were you blown away? Oh, it was amazing. So we played with him in Peterborough. We played with him uh, in Taunton, and then we played with him in Aberdeen. The Peterborough show was it was our it was a stadium show. Uh, it was a, it was an amazing show, but it was like seated. Um, yes. So sometimes to get the people off the seats is like it was, especially when you're the support. It, it was great and experienced to play in front of a stadium. And but then we went to play in Taunton, which was a standing. It literally felt like we were playing Glastonbury Festival. It was the sun was melting down. There was a, a eleven thousand people in front of the stage wow. and it was electric. It was almost like we were the headline band before Tom Jones, and then Tom Jones was just like this catalyst or, or like a massive full stop to the night it was just he blew the night out we blew the night out and then it was just it was just a great great night and then and then we did exactly the same in Aberdeen as well he's 70 I'm, I hope I'll call you right 79. 78, 78 79 years old mm-hmm. he, he that man can sing yeah. and still he has got there is no some pipes that warmth in his voice that everything that made him him Absolutely. Uh, all those years, but he's still got something to be learned. There. He did it. He did it on the voice a few times, didn't he? Where he'd just sing along with something. There was somebody who wrote a song, or his dad wrote a song with Tom Jones, I think, and he he ended up singing along with it. Um, just that, as you say, that warmth, that depth, that it just it's just commanding, isn't it? Yeah. When he goes when he goes low, oh my goodness me, amazing. So did did you did you get a chance to meet him? Yeah, we did. How did that... He watched a bit of our set um, at Taun- in Taun- the Taunton show, uh, and he and he came over and he chat to us, uh, complimented Joe's voice, um, you know, wished us luck with everything that we were doing. Uh, just a really really lovely down to earth guy. Uh, he was very, you know, he 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 definitely seemed very grateful for what he had and the people that were there as well. He had an amazing yeah. team, so it was always the same people that were all, at all the shows, whether it's behind yes. the band or the or the crew, and we just got on with them all. Great, yeah, it's good, really, really good, amazing. So, career high, would you say some of those moments last year, or with the things that you've done before that that's you know surpassed them? Or we have this amazing uh, amazing life. Uh, so it's really quite hard for us to sometimes uh, benchmark the moments because now you can go from from Tom Jones to then selling out our own you know thousand capacity venues in in, in Leeds when it's your own crowd and something like that happens that feeling inside of you is like it's so re- it's like like there's there's no uh, it's just an unbelievable feeling. Do you know when it's do you know when do you know when it's your birthday mm-hmm. and you don't soak it in. Until probably the week after. Yeah. It's like, it's like that with a career. So you go. Yeah. You go. Nostalgia. It's amazing. This is an amazing night, right? And you te- te- you try and take it all in for what it is, but it's quite overwhelming as well at the time. And then three years down the line, you'll go, can you believe we did that? Yeah. Or can you believe we did this and that? And then that'll, that'll, that'll be when you go, oh, yeah, that was a career high. But at that moment in time, it's like, it's a lot of information to process, you know. We've been like, in Colorado and then coming off stage and then being told that we have to be in LA the next day or the Jay Leno show to go on you know, Saturday Night Live and, and mm. you know, then literally just then leaving that and then a sold out venue and then flying back to Colorado to a sold out venue because of the show. Yeah. You know, that yes. instant and then and that allowing us to then do another run of sold out shows and Playing shows in, in Malibu and New York. Yeah, we've had a, an amazing career. But I was saying to Dave, I really feel like our career is now just starting. I, all the all like ten years sounds like a lot of time, but to me it feels like the perfect amount of time for us to now just keep moving forward with our career.
career. Uh, so I feel so young in 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 what we're doing. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. And I think if, as as we mentioned earlier, if you had other people around you that were as involved, it would be difficult for you guys to feel as fresh as that because there'd have been so much pulling at the seams. Yeah, you know, with people wanting to go their own way and. Oh, I've I've just had my fifth child, or I've just had uh, my wife's nagging at me to to bring more money in, or, or or do you know what I mean? Any anything like personalities is 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 probably the the toughest bit to get around in the music music musical thing. Mm. Yeah. So just just um, rewinding slightly then, so we talked about COVID, you talked about having a look at yourselves and deciding on the direction to go, but just sort of before that you said you were worried about the loss of income, you know, because the show is getting cancelled and that was, a, that was a really worrying time for everyone. Um, but the furlough scheme obviously protected a lot of people, um, you know, in entertainment um, that wasn't the same, not people didn't get covered in the same way and there was there was a lot of people talking about it. Um, you did mention that you tried to do something to, to you know, backfill that income or to, to turn what you were doing on its head to try and give you some stability. Yeah. So we managed to do the, 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 the writing sessions that we would be doing, mm-hmm. which was the way that we do a writing session would have been that it's not exchanging money at all. It's literally we're writing a song together and off we go. But if that song wants to get used, then obviously at which point we, we would be and they enjoy the production, we would love to produce that record and we just learned how to become producers remotely yeah yeah and that allowed us to actually then continue working with the artists that we worked with pre-covid now it, it would be difficult to start working with new artists because i don't feel like we could give our best as we were learning the process whereas some some of the projects were already on the go as we were going so we we had a clear vision of what we wanted to create we had a clear vision of time and where, how we want to do it. So it, 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 that we're so grateful for that to work out still. And, um, mm. the skills of being a pub singer for so many years and learning to think on your feet and not know whether you're going to get your 50 quid or your yeah. 20 quid that day. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you're, you're running an open mic night for very, very little money, but you're constantly able to, fill that diary, get into the next gig. The knowledge that all you have to do as a musician is just play a gig. Play a gig, be as good as you can be, be ready for it, and something will come from it. Because you'll play that gig and then you'll meet somebody and that somebody will be a a person in a chain of events that will get you to wherever you need to get to. Whether it's a a paid gig or a series of paid gigs or a top card in it. Well, you, you showed me a little bit of that, the software, the tools that you were using when I came and visited you. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to mention that, uh, again, it was a massive amount of humility that you guys showed me. I'm not going to talk about how we got in the same room together because I don't want people knocking knocking on your door, bashing your door in to, to sit with you. And, uh, you know, I, I had... Um, obviously connections with you guys already and you you both let me in you said you know what come and show us a few songs and we did that and we sat together for the day and i yeah, i'm so grateful uh, for the time yeah which, which is going to get used at some point though. definitely i can hear it on a on a, on a there is TV. A Great. Yes, Great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, that was that was amazing to see, and I did see some of those techniques on that day as well. You know, when you were talking about writing, and you put it on the uh, the the software online, and people could listen to it, and then they could buy it off you if they wanted to, and all that sort of stuff. So, the the you know, I suppose in a way, what you did with the studio and the stuff you'd already learned enabled you to to go and do that, which is amazing. So um, we're getting towards the end, guys. So what I wanted to do is just ask you a few quick questions, if that's okay, quick fire ones, really quick answers for a bit of a laugh. Uh, And then would you be okay to play as a song to to finish? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Brilliant. Okie dokie. So here we go. Um, So You answer. Go for it, Jojo. If it's quick, (laughs) I'll Where's your favourite place to play? Uh, oh. Favourite place to play? <laughs> She's not quick. That isn't quick. <laughs> give me, give me your top few. Uh, off the back, uh, Highlands. I'd love to do a Highlands tour again. Yeah. Where haven't you played that you'd love to? Australia. Where do you see yourselves in five years, just purely in terms of 
the size of the band um, and how much more music you've written? Uh, Playing Leeds Arena. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what's your favourite song that you've written? Both of you need an answer here. Uh, Light Up The Sky always falls off the tongue quite easily. I feel very proud of that one. Uh, probably the one that we're going to play at the end of the show, Animal. Yeah, which is my favourite as well. Uh, and, and not, I don't think it's one of the, the more well-known ones as well, which is amazing that when, when you said that to me, I couldn't believe it because it's, it's mine as well. Um, not, not one of your own, but of, of any artist, your favourite song of all time, each of you? It can only be one. Oh, you can give me a couple if you want, or a few, yeah. And Slowly by Glenn Hansard, or The Frames, uh, either one. Um, uh, favourite song of all time? Uh, uh, do you know, Fix You by Copa. Oh, yes. It's beautiful, isn't it? <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the hardest part, I, love, I absolutely love the hardest part as well. It's a beautiful song by, by Copley. Um, I'll, I'll chip in with mine. Um, it is Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel, and it's a seven-minute yeah. classic. Absolutely brilliant. He played it at Wembley last year when my wife kindly bought me surprise tickets for my uh, for my 30th. So forever grateful for that. And do you know what? He didn't play it. He didn't play it at Madison Square Gardens the week before. So if he'd not played it, I would have... Abby was there like, please, please play it. <laughs> I, I cried. I'm not going to lie. Um, and um, last, last question then. Uh, what would your... Um, piece or a couple of pieces of advice be to somebody starting out in the industry it doesn't have to be quick fire if there's somebody that's young or somebody that's starting out a musician uh, something that you learned along the way and you'd pass on uh, if you believe in what you're doing it will all be okay in the end i believe that more so now than ever just keep going because if you stay true to yourself and believe in what you're doing, it will it will come to light. Uh, I think my piece of advice, which I wish somebody would had has said to us, which I feel like we've it's come up in conversation a couple of times as we're moving through our history, um, to to learn how to remain focused on exactly what you want. If you know exactly what you want, then if you know that you want to be a a the kind of musician that can fill theatres across the whole of the world. Yeah. It will and you learn to 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 meditate on that, to think on that, to focus study on them, that. Study the artists that have already done that. It will show you what to do to get there. And more importantly, it will show you how to ignore all of the uh, YouTube sensations and the Instagram sensations and the guys that are the coolest pop musicians in X, the world. X, X Factor and things like that. It will stop you, even amazing, it will stop you comparing yourself to other musicians because you can clearly see the path that you were supposed to be taking. I think what he's trying to say is there is uh, define your success because success leaves clues everywhere. Amazing, amazing. Fantastic. I feel like even a Dunwell song can't be more poignant than that. <laughs> but um, but I'm, I'm joking. It absolutely will be. Um, so, guys, I just want to say a massive thank you. Um, a massive thank you. Uh, I can't I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm going to get you a little gift just to say uh, how grateful I am because uh, you are you are too you are too too kind and you've already given me your time once so um, I just want to say before I go as well Abby's a huge fan and uh, she'll be absolutely made up and she will definitely listen to this one I think she's so far managed to listen to 20 minutes of my podcast which uh, so she'll be listening to an hour of yours which is great okay. <laughs> um, so what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll hear you out and um, when the song is finished the podcast will finish so thank you very much thank you to all the listeners uh, we hope to have you back uh, in the next couple of weeks there'll be a show coming out and we're looking to have a chat with a couple of doctors who've dealt with covid we're looking to chat to a, a doctor in sports psychology uh, forensic psychology and much more so stay tuned for more and here is the dumbwells with i believe animal yeah i love that we're uh, we're on the same podcast with all them um you know, professionals like doctors and, and scientists and, and musicians. Yeah, yeah. Hold it up. Yeah. I will 
Thank you. 